Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're actually going to be looking at a couple different passages, but starting here in chapter 8. We're in this series entitled Kings, and uh, last week, truly, when we kicked things off with the story of Samuel and this miraculous birth as the Lord provided for Hannah, and now we're going to look at how this people, this nation of Israel, is asking Samuel for a king, and um, so we're going to unpack that uh, a little bit. Before we begin, I just want to look at um, Exodus chapter 20 real quick. This will be on the screen. Uh, but two verses, this is the beginning of the Ten Commandments that were uh, given to Moses on Mount Sinai that were to be given then uh, to the people of Israel. I want you to notice one of the very first things that's said in this passage. It says that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Okay, so before we even get into the Ten Commandments, God just lays a foundation. Look, I am the Lord your God, and I brought you out of the slavery that you were in in Egypt. And so now I've got some ways in which I want you to live, and it will go well with you. And the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay? It's God's intent that he would be Israel's king. So with that as a foundation, I want to pray with you before we begin to read 1 Samuel 8. So would you pray right now? Father, thank you for the passages we're going to read today. I ask for your blessing and your anointing over our time spent here together in your word. Lord, please use me to communicate your heartbeat, the things you've pressed upon my heart to share today. Lord, may it just be very clear. Help us to be people who are responding to your word, not just listening, but doing what it says and applying it into our lives. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting here in verse 1, talking about the prophet Samuel. The Bible says Samuel grew old, and he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. Now finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. So give us a king to judge us, like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request, and he went to the Lord for guidance. Now, I just want to stop right there and just emphasize that when a matter was brought to Samuel, and it was frustrating for him, what was one of the very first things that he did? He brought it to the Lord. You know, when things come our way, We can take note here from what Samuel has done. Let's just take the matter right to the Lord. Bring it to the Lord. Verse 7. So starting here in verse 6. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. 
Do everything they say to you, Lord, do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So here's the warning, starting in verse 10. Samuel passed on the warning to his people who were asking him for a king, and this is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons. And assign them to be or his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. And he will take away the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his own officials." And he will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. And he will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. And he will demand a tenth of your flock and you will be his slaves. Stop right there. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And now they want a king, and he's warning them, you will become slave to this king. Verse 18, when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king that you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning, and even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, Do as they say, and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed, and he sent the people home. Okay. As we stop there, you see their request. You see Samuel bringing this before the Lord. The Lord recognized, you need to warn these people, but... They're going to go ahead and do things their way. And they want their king. And so then Samuel begins to try to look and search for this king that he's going to anoint. And he's going to lead Israel. And he finds this man, Saul. And Saul becomes the king of Israel. And we'll unpack him a little bit more as this uh, series moves forward. But I want to recognize the fact that Samuel walks through their request gives them a king, and as Samuel's approaching the end of his ministry and the end of his life, he gives a farewell address in 1 Samuel chapter 12. And if you want to follow with me, I'm going to be reading most of that chapter as well, because I think you can take these two chapters and begin to unpack some application for our own lives. 1 Samuel 12, starting in verse 1, says, Samuel addressed all Israel... He says, I've done as you've asked, and I've given you a king. Your king is now your leader. And I stand before you, an old gray-haired man, and my sons to serve you. I have served you as your leader from the time I was a boy to this very 
day. Go to verse 6. It says, It was the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, Samuel continued. He brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. Now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of the great things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. When the Israelites were in Egypt and they cried out to the Lord, He sent Moses and Aaron to rescue them from Egypt and to bring them into this land. But the people soon forgot about the Lord their God. So He handed them over to Sisera, the commander of Hazor's army, and also to the Philistines, and to the king of Moab who fought against them. And they cried to the Lord again, and they confessed, We have sinned by turning away from the Lord and worshiping the images of Baal and Ashtoreth. But we will worship you and you alone if you will rescue us from our enemies. Then the Lord sent Gideon, Badan, Jephthah, and Samuel to save you, and you lived in safety. So we're starting to list now these judges that would come in to help Israel. And you can actually read about them in the book of Judges. And that's actually what Samuel was doing. He was acting as a judge for the nation of Israel. Verse 12. But when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you, even though the Lord your God was already your king. All right, here is the king you've chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Now, if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's commands, then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to Him, then His hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. You know that it does not rain at this time of year during the wheat harvest. And I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. Then you will realize how wicked you have been in asking the Lord for a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. Pray to the Lord your God for us, or we will die, they all said to Samuel. For now we have added to our sins by asking for a king. Don't be afraid, Samuel reassured them. You have certainly done wrong, but make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart, and don't turn your back on Him. Don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that cannot help or rescue you. They are totally useless. The Lord will not abandon His people because that would dishonor His great name, for it has pleased the Lord to make you His very own people. As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord, by ending my prayers for you, and I will continue to teach you what is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him, and think of all the wonderful things that He has done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. Okay, that's a lot of reading here, but I think it gives you a good idea the context and what's going on here with the Israelites and with Samuel and their pursuit of a king rather than having God be their king. A couple of different times it's very clear that they are sinning as a nation. 
And they're asking Samuel for this king. And I kind of scratched my head with this because they're sinning, but yet they're doing something that God foreknew and talked about in the first five books of the Bible. And we'll walk through that here in Genesis 17, 6. The Bible says, kings shall come from you. Genesis 35, 11, kings will be among your descendants. Genesis 49, 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants. And in Numbers 24, verse 7, it says, their king will be greater than Agag. And I'm sitting here going, all right, the Lord's laying this out. And then here the people end up asking for the king, and they're sinning as they're doing this. And take it a step further, there's even a section that's written in Deuteronomy 17 that gives instructions for how the king is supposed to handle his affairs and how he's supposed to rule. And specifically in Deuteronomy 17, 14, it says, When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, and you've taken possession of it, and you've settled in it, and you say, it says, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king that the Lord your God chooses. So I think God can see ahead. He foreknows what's going to happen. And there might be some debate over this, but I would also think that in due time, I believe God was going to provide for them a king. A king that rules justly. A king that knows mercy and compassion that would come in Jesus Christ. And the sin issue here for these people is the timing and also their motives. So part of their motives here, they're discontent. Okay, so let's unpack this for a second. Both uh, 1 Samuel 8, 5, and then 1 Samuel 8, 20, here's what they say. Give us a king to judge us, like all the other nations have. Who is Israel's king? The Lord. And they're going, hey, all these other nations, they have a king. We want what they have. They're discontent and they're comparing themselves. We want to be like the nations around us. Well, here's a couple verses that I think are helpful for us if we ever get caught up in trying to compare ourselves to the world around us. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. That's pretty straightforward. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Our world is constantly enticing us and making us think, you don't have enough. If only you did this, or only you did that, or look what they have, and what you don't have, and all of those things. But God, who is holy, He's set apart. He sets us apart as well. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. When Christ redeemed my life, He set me apart. And so I want to live for Him. I want to follow and acknowledge His ways, even though the ways of the world are contrary and oftentimes very difficult to avoid. Because it's around us all the time. We want other things other than the Lord. And yet God's saying, you shall have no other gods before me. He lays the groundwork with the first commandment. 
And an idol is anything that would take the place of God in your heart or in your life. Whatever takes your time, whatever takes your attention, and our world is filled with all kinds of idols. What's interesting is it's not just the fact that they wanted to be like these other nations, but it comes from a place that's actually fear. And Samuel addresses this in 1 Samuel uh, 12. So these elders come to him, and one of the things they tell Samuel is, Hey, you're old. So there's a fear there. You're old. We, what if you die tomorrow, Samuel? What are we going to do? You're our judge, and all these other nations, they have kings. So right out the gate, they're acknowledging their fear of how long he's even going to be around. And then they have fear, and I think to a certain degree, I could see why his sons weren't exactly living for the Lord. And so they come to him, they're in fear, and in 1 Samuel 12, verse 12, Samuel actually tells them, it says, You were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon. So out of fear even of these other kings or these enemies of Israel, they wanted a king to reign over them. But the God that we serve is not a God of fear in the sense of where we begin to sort of make quick decisions that blend in with the world. In fact, God tells us to fear not. Samuel says, don't be afraid. And then also, when Joshua and the whole crew started taking over different places, the Bible tells us, Have I not commanded you, be strong and be courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now that was established to them before we get to this point here in 1 Samuel. That was spoken over them. And how quickly we can forget. Right? I need to be strong and courageous, and God's going to go with me wherever I go. So when you step into battle with Nahash, the king of Ammon, guess what? God's going to be with you, and God is your king. And they go, we're scared. We want a king. They totally miss the truth and the reality that they have God on their side. This morning in prayer... I happened to notice a devotional in the location I was praying, and it talked about the balance or the, the difference between fear and faith. And there's a tension there. And I thought it was very interesting that I happened to go to this location, I sit down, I'm getting ready to pray, and I look on the table, and there is this devotional with that on the front. And I'm thinking, with what I'm feeling led to share with us today, it's like how quickly we run to the things of the world or we do things our own way out of fear or out of discontentment or out of comparison. And meanwhile, God's just saying, do you, do you trust me? Do you have faith? Or are you willing to just run off like the rest of the world and do it your way? How many of you have ever started something your own way and then you realize halfway through, I probably should have stopped and asked the Lord for some guidance here. Okay? You're with me on that? We discussed that last week in Sunday school. I mentioned um, the do-it-yourself projects. I'm a pastor, not a carpenter, or a guy that does construction, 
And when I get into those kinds of jobs, it always seems like I got in way further than I probably wanted to be. And sometimes it'll just go really smooth, and I can totally acknowledge this went smooth because at the very beginning I said, Lord, I need you to give me wisdom. I need your favor. I need your help. And then other times when there was some job that was supposed to be so simple ended up taking all morning, and I get about halfway through the morning, I go, I didn't even pray over this. I wonder why this is going so well. <laughs> now that's a small thing, you know, do-it-yourself projects. But I think for all of us, we can probably think in our own lives, there's do-it-yourself decisions that we make. Things come up and we just take over. We just start making decisions and it gets us in a whole world of hurt with if we would have just stopped like Samuel and just acknowledged the Lord. Oh Lord, I, I need some guidance here. Here's what I'm walking through. Here's what I'm going through. And we consult the Lord. And we seek His counsel and we ask for His direction. You're no longer fearing all the things that might go on or the things you might be missing out on, you just recognize, I know I have God and that's enough. In 1 Samuel 12, God breaks things down that would be if we walked in His way rather than our own way. And it starts with fearing the Lord. you look at verse 14, it basically just walks right through this. Fear the Lord, worship the Lord, all these idols that we build up in our own lives, like put those away. Let's just worship the Lord and then listen to His voice. There are all kinds of voices in this world. But as I read from Romans 12, don't copy the pattern of this world. Instead, transform your mind. And you do that by getting into the Word of God and He speaks to you and you listen to His voice. And then earlier when I prayed, I said, help us not to just listen, but then we need to walk out. There's an obedience component to this. If all you did was showed up and you listened to the Word and then you walk out of here, the Bible says you're fooling yourself. That's from James chapter 1. Don't just listen to the Word. Do what it is says and so we fear the lord we worship the lord we listen to his voice and we obey his commands and as we focus in on that the lord's blessing will go to those who try to walk in his way and samuel addresses and warns about these idols that we chase after but then he ends it with the memory verse here first samuel 12:24 be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. And think of all the wonderful things that He has done for you. And I think when we begin to forget about God being faithful in our lives, that's when I think we can get entangled into the things of this world. If Israel won a battle or something big happened, they'd often build some sort of monument that they would be able to look back at and go, that's when God did this, and that's when God did this. And yet, in the midst of all of this, 
God saying, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. You were slaves. And yet it's like somehow they forgot. And so while we walk out our faith journey and we begin to do things our own way, one thing I just want to say is we need to be careful what we wish for. I think sometimes we can save ourselves a lot of frustration, a lot of heartache, if we'd have just went to him first rather than did our own thing. These kings come. You have Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. And there were some good things about these kings, but there were also some not-so-good things about these kings. And after Solomon, now you have a kingdom that's split. You have the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. And over their journey as a nation, there's 39 kings that would be a part of their history. And only eight of them would be good. Eight out of 39 after the first three. Be careful what you wish for. I'm so thankful for God's provision because He doesn't just leave us hanging in our sin and our bad decisions, but He makes a way. And in the midst of the rebellion, God has a plan for His people. And that will come through Jesus Christ, our King. 1 Timothy 6, verse 15 says that God is our blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And a couple of verses in Revelation discuss that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. God's provision even in the midst of our rebellion. And we do things our own way, yet God is gracious. He provides for us a way in Jesus Christ. As I reflect back on my own life, I feel like it took a while before uh, maybe some things finally sunk in. I don't know if anybody can relate with me on that one. Perhaps you guys all had it figured out. And you were just walking the straight and narrow. and Or maybe it was a little more like God, in His grace, helped you to see that He is good and that His plans are good and that you can trust Him and that all the things the world has to offer, they don't compare to the things that he has to offer. And as you came to your senses, you said, I want to put my faith and trust in King Jesus. And you make him Lord of your life. And as you come to him in faith, he forgives you of your sin and you become a child of God. But here's the thing, even as a believer in Jesus Christ, I will still have days where I want to do things my own way. A couple weeks ago we talked about the battle of the, between the flesh and the spirit and, and, and God's helping me. And anything that's good in me is because of the Holy Spirit. 
Because my flesh, my flesh doesn't want to read the scriptures. My flesh doesn't want to pray. My flesh doesn't want to go to church. You're like, whoa. The pastor just said that his flesh... But let's be honest. The only thing that's good in me is because the Holy Spirit is at work. Otherwise, all I'm going to produce is bad fruit. I need Christ in my life. And He produces the fruit of the Spirit. And we're able to do things His way because of His help. But we have to surrender those things and say, Lord, I I need your help here. I need your help. And we're going to sing a song here. I want to invite our um, musicians to return and our vocalists as we sing this song of reflection. And whatever the Holy Spirit might be saying to us right now, consider the words of this song, I surrender all. And all to Him I freely give. Because His way is so much better than our way. And so we lay those things at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, please, please take these things. And so would you worship with us right now as we sing together, I surrender all.
pray with me as we close this message? Father, search our hearts. Help us to quit doing things our own way. To acknowledge our need for you. Please help us to walk in your ways. Please help us to be people who fear you, worship you, listen to your voice and obey your commands. To some degree, this might feel like a cookie-cutter message. It's pretty straightforward. Fear the Lord, worship Him, listen to His voice and obey His commands. But Lord, there's great power in applying those truths. Your word tells us that in all our ways we acknowledge you and you will make our paths straight. So guide us, Lord, and help us to trust in you with all of our heart. And if there's anything that we're still holding on to, Lord. Help us to surrender it. With this many people in worship here today, it's possible there's someone listening that you've yet to completely surrender your life to the Lord. Please understand and please know that God desires a relationship with you. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He invites you to come and to let your sins be forgiven and to have a relationship with God. If you desire that today, I want to lead you in this prayer to receive Christ. Simply just pray in your heart and say, Jesus, today I surrender. I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. I ask that you would come into my life and make me a new person. Give me the strength. Give me the Holy Spirit's power to fear you, to worship you, listen to your voice and obey your commands. Today I receive you by grace through faith. Thank you for this gift of salvation. We lift this to you in Jesus' name.